let's get into this today because I, I cannot even put into words how much fun we're about to have here. I'm excited about this. Uh, we, we've been doing a series over the last number of weeks looking at uh, the parables that Jesus tells uh, on the kingdom of God and kind of diving into the implications of these mysterious, ambiguous, this compelling nature of these stories that Jesus tells. And next week, um, probably next week, we'll, we'll finish up this series. Uh, and I, I can tell you, we, we've kind of saved the, the most fun for the last here. This is going to be really good. So today I want, you to invite you, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use, to turn over to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to start there. If you were to pick of all the parables Jesus told, uh, one of the one that the most scholars and commentators argue and disagree about and uh, and and wrestle with its interpretation in vastly different ways, uh, this would be in the top three, which makes me love it all the more. Uh, this is just going to be great fun. Here we go. Okay, so we're gonna let's dive right in here. Matthew chapter twenty-five. Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Now, right off the bat, do you notice this, this one starts off something different than all the parables we've looked at so far? Usually it starts off now, the kingdom of heaven is like. Here, we got a little change and sh- a shift in tense here. We ha- he says then. Uh, this is super important. Up to now, Jesus has been telling parables about the kingdom of God and how it, that kingdom works in the present age. Right now, how, it gro- how it's growing inside you. Uh, inside, it, how his spirit is planted inside you like a seed in your heart right now. And it is allowed, it, when God's will is allowed to rule and reign more and more and more in your life. And it grows gently and slowly. And it begins to bear fruit, right? We see the seed grow up and it bears fruit. Sometimes it's like a tree that grows and the birds from, you know, we talked about the birds from all the different nations can come and rest in those branches. How this kingdom is like a kitchen full of bread, right? It's just like, it just rises and it nourishes, not just you, but the whole village. We've seen the kingdom like a priceless treasure in a field a feel that, that you would willingly swap your entire life for this new life, this other life with Jesus. And by his grace, you're given access to this treasure in the field. But now remember, for years now, we've been talking about the kingdom of, kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And we use a phrase, there's this really wonderful phrase that a lot of Christians around the world have latched onto because it's very descriptive. And we call it this kingdom, it is the already not yet. Somebody gets a gold star over here. Way to go. The already not yet kingdom. You've heard us mention that, I'm sure. The already not yet kingdom. Because Jesus says this kingdom, remember, which is his will, God's will finally having its way here inside you on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So it's, it's his will having its way here. It's happening now. It's happening now. It's among us in the church. It's alive and flowing. The kingdom is happening right now, right? And yet, Anybody spend five minutes watching the news this week? Right. It's not yet fully manifest. (laughs) That's safe to say. It's already, it's not yet. There is still pain in the world. There is still suffering 
in the world. There's still injustice to be set right. It's what so many of the prophets, when you read the Old Testament prophets like, like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, this is the kind of thing that they're pointing to. In the future, God promises to right all the wrongs. He heal all the wounds, to defeat every evil, to wipe away every last tear. Can I get an amen? This is the promise, right? And so this is the anticipation that hung in the air as Jesus is talking to his listeners right there on those shore, on that shoreline. Jesus is speaking to his audience in that first century. They lived with this expectation that there was a moment was coming in the world that things were going to, everything that was broken was going to get fixed. At some point that God was going to say enough to violence to, to earthquakes, to disease, to neglect, that at some point God is going to move in and put the world back together. And for you and me, central to being a follower of Jesus today, we live in this tension. We live right in the middle of this tension between the already and the not yet aspect of the kingdom. And we do this by, on, on one hand, we do this by reflecting the new life that has already begun in you, that seed that's already sprouted in your heart, that, that new life, that change that should be evident to the world around us. We should be different than everyone else, right? But we also reflect this already not yet kingdom by being watchful and ready we're watchful and ready for the day when Jesus returns and completes that story that he started 2,000 years ago. Amen? So today's parable, on some level, is about that moment. This parable is about the kingdom that is coming, which is why Jesus begins this parable not with, now the kingdom of heaven is like, but at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And here we go. It'll be like 10 bridesmaids taking their lamps who went to meet the bridegroom. Okay. Now, first off, let's do a little context here. There's some fascinating details about first century wedding customs because right off the bat, this doesn't look like any wedding I've ever been to, right? This is interesting. Um, I want you to imagine right now on this stage, there is a, a big banquet going on, right? There is a party going on, and people are laughing, people are telling jokes, old people are giving advice to young people, people are dancing, they're having a good time, dun, 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 dun. this is happening. If you lived in a village in first century Near East, uh, you probably at some point would find yourself at in an engagement party for some sweet young teenage couple. And at this party, that party, at some point in the party, the young man would stand up and probably raise a glass filled with something. He would raise it up and publicly offer the young lady a marriage covenant. And she would take the glass from him, which was her way of saying, yes, I will marry you. <clears throat> And at that point, they would be betrothed or engaged and not yet married because there are some preparations to take care of first. In many cases, what would happen at the end of this party is the man would be expected to leave his future bride and return to his father's home and build an addition onto it. 
They called it an insula, an addition onto the, the kind of the, fa- the family estate. And if the father had many sons, sometimes you would have multiple additions that come off this, the, the main home here. Um, and so the young man, what he would say uh, as his betrothed takes his glass at the engagement party is this. He would say, in my father's house are many rooms, but I go to prepare one for you. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And someday, he would continue, I will come and get you and take you to the place where I am going. <laughs> okay. Now, as to when this young man would return for the bride, no one knew the hour nor the day. They might know the season, but not the hour nor the day, because the moment of his return was ultimately up to the father to decide when everything's ready. <laughs> By the way, he would also, when he, when he declared this, he would say, I'm not leaving you empty-handed, and he would give her a present as a promise of his return. <laughs> so during this time of betrothal, this long time that she would be living in her family home, and he would be in his father's house, usually like learning the family trade, you know, making his nest egg, you know, building his fortune so he can provide and all that kind of thing. And he's building this family addition, building this room for her. By the way, this is the betrothal period that Mary and Joseph were in the middle of when she became uh, pregnant with Jesus. And so finally there would come a day, finally there would be a day when, when it was time. And when that day came, sometimes it would happen. Now, by the way, this betrothal period could take up to a year or more uh, of separation. But when that day came, often it would happen at night, and the groom would come like a thief in the night. The groom would come, and he would get all of his friends and all of his brothers and his mates, and he'd be like, come on, guys, it's time. He rustles them up in the middle of the night, and they are all excited, and they, he grabs them, and they're singing, and I mean, this is testosterone-fueled joy marching through the streets here, right? I mean, my buddy's getting married, if you've ever seen, you know, this kind of thing happen. And so you'd have torches, and you'd have singing and shouting and celebrating as they're marching through the streets, right? Like, they just won the World Cup. Here they come. They're all excited. And even the people in the village, as they're passing by houses and stuff like that, they would be invited, even expected to come on out. People be putting on their clothes really fast. Come on out. Join the parade, right? So you would have this parade of folks that is just coming down, filling the streets, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, because everyone knows everybody in this town, and who wants to miss a party? And this is the party of the year, right? It's been wait, everybody's been waiting for it. You probably know that one testosterone-fueled 16-year-old boy in your neighborhood who peels out and drives too fast. You know that one? That you, you know, you're like, Ur. well, imagine a whole town of people who are this excited, who are this, this fueled. And so that's a party. And when the bridegroom gets to the home of his bride, it'll begin a celebration that could last anywhere from a couple of days to a week. This is serious. These guys knew how to party at a wedding, let me tell you. So this is the setting for our parable. We have to understand that. This is the setting. Jesus starts the story kind of in medias race, right? Right in the middle. He's jumping into the action. There's no setup here because all of his listeners would have been like, oh yeah, we know what's happening, right? They understand. The bridegroom is about to show up and there's going to be an epic feast. 
There's going to be food. There's going to be dancing. Everybody knows everybody in the same place for days on end. Joy. Joy is the context of this parable. One of my favorite New Testament scholars is Robert Farrar Capon, and he just has written this beautiful uh, volume on the parables of Jesus. He wrote this about the parable of the ten virgins. He says, what we are watching for is a party, and that party is not just down the street making up its mind when to come to us. It's already hiding in our basement, banging, up the st- banging on our steel steam pipes and laughing its way up our cellar doors, and the unknown day or hour of its violently bursting into the kitchen and roistering its way through the whole house is not dreadful. It is all part of the divine lark of grace. God is not our mother-in-law coming to see whether her wedding present china has been chipped. He's the funny old uncle with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. We do indeed need to watch for him, but only because it would be such a pity to miss all the fun. (laughs) Oh, this is great. Go out and buy this book immediately. So he says that we have to understand the setting of this parable. The bridegroom is coming. The context is joy. And he's going to, the bridegroom's going to be inaugurating this massive, massive feast of joy. Meanwhile, while the little parade's coming, at the home of the bride, word would be getting to them to get ready. It tells us there are 10 bridesmaids. These would be all her sisters and his girlfriends. They'd be all done up, the hair and the matching weird dresses. They'd all be ready because they got the news. The bridegroom is on the way. They're getting everybody ready. And they, they would be expected to run out into the night, kind of meet the party, and then escort the groom's parade back to her home. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Five of them were foolish. The word they use in the Greek there is moros, where we get moron. Foolish. Means kind of like they didn't, they're kind of empty-headed. And five were wise. Now, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no spare batteries with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. Okay, now this is interesting. The bridegroom is delayed in this story. It doesn't really tell us why, right? Remember the parables? We, 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 not every single little detail is explained and means something else, right? It's not an allegory. It's a, it's a situation that it's setting up that's meant to provoke uh, a response from us. And so he's delayed for whatever reason. And they heard he was on the way, so they grab their lamps and they're in their party dresses, but he's taken a lot longer than expected. And it says they all fell asleep. Notice, they all fell asleep, the five foolish ones and the five wise ones. So sleep is not the problem in this parable. That's not the issue. In, in some stories in Scripture, we read that falling asleep is, is frowned on, right? There's something wrong with falling asleep. In this parable, sleeping isn't really the issue here. It, it's late. It's to be expected. You're going to get drowsy. The parable turns around this idea of the, the bridegroom doesn't come right away. He's delayed. The, the word there is chronizo, is where we get chronological. There's a, there's a gap of time that's happening here. Now, why does Jesus tell a story where the bridegroom is delayed? Why is there a delay? In Jesus' day, people were assuming that at some point, God was going to do some mighty things on their behalf. The Messiah was coming. God was going to arrive in all of his glory He was going to arrive and make everything better. He was going to get the party started in Israel. 
on another level, even the believers of Jesus' day, and even after Jesus, when we get into other parts of the New Testament, they could not imagine that 2,000 years later, we, the church sitting here, would still be waiting on the porch, waiting for our approaching bridegroom. Even, in, it's interesting, some of the earliest letters of even Paul, it sounds, he, it sounds very expedient. He sounds like, like, get ready, it's about to happen. I think they really expected this is about to happen. Paul was like, don't even get married. You don't have time, right? And then in the later letters, you start to realize they're kind of like cluing in, oh, this bridegroom is delayed. This, we may be in this for a while, right? So that's what's happening here. So it says that around midnight, you have the groomsman. Finally, the groomsman running ahead of the groom shouting, he's coming. And since it's night, the bride and the bridesmaids, they would need their lamps, right? But they've been kind of sleeping, so the fire's kind of gone down. They've used up the oil. They would need their lamps to find their way through the darkness to go get to the groom. And it tells us in verse 7, Then all those bridesmaids got up to trim their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your batteries. We're, ours are run out. Uh, but the wise replied, There will not be enough for you and me. If, if we do that, then we'll all be in the dark. So you better go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. In verse 11, it says, Later the other bridesmaids, they came also, saying, Lord, Lord, let, let, open up to us. And he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. I was out there in the road. Everybody came. Uh, you weren't there. You weren't waiting for us. You weren't there. I don't know who you were. There were other bridesmaids there. And Jesus finishes this word of, with this word of caution. He says, keep awake, therefore. And that word literally is to be alert, to watch out. For you know neither the day nor the hour. And that's the parable. Half have enough oil in case of a long delay, half don't, and they have to rush off to find more oil, but there's no shops open at the time. And by the way, by the way, in their day, you would never show up to a wedding late. No, 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 no. I mean, this, this is the one show in town, right? There's not of other things to do. So the highest, there's been a year of, of, of buildup and the highest cultural offense would have been to show up to a wedding late. There's a lot of commentaries, a lot of over the hundreds and hundreds of years that have tried to interpret different parts of this parable, such as like, what does the oil represent? It's not really told what the oil represents. Kind of remember, one, remember this is not a, a parable is not exactly an allegory where everything matches something. It's creating a situation that, that provokes us by a dilemma. So there's a lot of commentary. What does the oil represent? There's some commentary out there that it represents faith. So you have faith, and, and some people, they let their faith go out. They let it go down, and they don't want to share their faith because then they'd be out of, they have to go to the faith store and find some more faith or something. But I don't know. There's one. It, it makes some sense. There's, it, does, it kind of breaks down after a little while, but that could be. There's another uh, set of commentaries that talk about the oil as being mercy because many times in scriptures— Mercy is referred to, there's the phrase, the oil of mercy. And in the Hebrew, not in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, uh, mercy and oil are almost the same word. They're, they borrow from each other. And so this idea of mercy and that over the long haul, we can tend to lose our mercy. We can be less merciful, um, feel more entitled. 
There's some good arguments for that one. The point is, all of that is missing the point, all right? Uh, What Jesus warns us about, he tells us what, what the point of the parable is. He warns us at this end, keep watch, stay alert, keep awake. Now remember, we already were told that the five wise women fell asleep. So it's not strictly just falling asleep. Being watchful can't just mean never relax, right? Never sleep, never rest, never feel at ease. That's not what Jesus is saying. What made the other five characters deserve this moniker of foolish? It was. Be- it suggested that by not bringing extra oil, whatever that is, by not doing that, they reveal a heart attitude of being indifferent, of being apathetic, unprepared for the greatest event going on in town that anybody could hope for. See, when it comes to this wedding, this wedding is happening once, right? There's not like a 5.30 showing and then another one at 9.30 and a matinee in the morning. It's happening once for these kids. They're getting married one time, right? So a once-in-a-lifetime event, if your batteries run out in the middle of the night and you miss the parade, you miss the show because, you know, if you were thinking, well, I'll get it next time. No, you're, you're out of luck. Jesus says there is coming a celebration. Some will be ready, some won't. But the wedding is happening with or without you. Some will join in. Some will miss it. Scholars have, have noticed in all of these parables um, that there is a, uh, a progression that actually happens. And because there's many, many parables, um, I've got a chart on my computer where I list out all the parables and what they do and what they're teaching and all this. Uh, and, and there is a progression. Some people have noticed there's sort of like three movements in, in these different parables. And Jesus starts off with this one aspect, and that's what we looked at those first four weeks, um, that one aspect of this already not yet kingdom, but he's making his way to a climax in the story. That We've looked at this already, the kingdom of growing inside you now, Right? The one that's like a seed, it's like a treasure, it's like yeast rising in bread. Jesus starts by describing the kingdom in these terms of its smallness, of its hiddenness, its slowness. This is the kingdom that takes root, not violently at a sword, you know, with the sword. Uh, It takes root quietly. You hardly even notice it's happened, right? It sneaks in the back door of this kingdom. It's not like the kingdom that Jesus' audience was expecting, which was loud, boisterous, and violent. Let's take over. Let's take our country back from the Romans. That was the cry. This kingdom is like a seed growing inside you. And it's not fueled by how perfect you are. God doesn't love you for your goodness or your rightness, your mistake-free lifestyle. It doesn't make him love you anymore. Or how many years you've... God doesn't love you for any of that. The shocking message of the gospel is that this invitation goes out to all of us, whoever you are, exactly as we are, in the midst of not having it all together, in the, in the midst of your untogetherness, in the midst of your humiliating faults. The invitation goes to you in all the ways we've messed up, the ways we've goofed up, we've, we've missed the plot, Grace just is. It's extended. Anyone can join this parade, right? You can, anyone can be a bridesmaid, even if you're foolish. 
You can be a bridesmaid. All of us. You getting me? That's grace. Because what is the fuel of this kingdom? The fuel of this kingdom is grace. Grace. That's how it works with grace. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. And that's why, that's why religion can be so destructive and lethal sometimes. Because it can ever so subtly teach you, well... I do the right thing. I, I, I check all the boxes. I'm moral. I'm righteous. I believe all the right boxes. I'm fighting the holy war. No, 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 no. It's grace. Grace. You're in the wedding parade. Congratulations. You didn't achieve that. You didn't pay for the parade. You didn't earn the parade. You just decided to join in. That's, that's good for you. That's awesome. You're there because of grace. That's how grace works. But then Jesus tells another set of parables here, right? And like this one today, at midnight, the cry rang out because this parable is about 10 bridesmaids and it warns us, then the bridegroom came and how ready you were mattered. A great deal. Some were prepared, some weren't. Jesus starts these parables about the kingdom's smallness, its slowness, its, its hiddenness. But he ends with a warning. And the warning to us is that what you do now matters. Now matters. Do not get caught outside the party, he says. Because everyone's invited. It's not about, well, there's good religious people and there's bad people he doesn't like. He doesn't create separation right? He tells, these parables are all about inclusion. The seed gets scattered on every type of soil. You remember that one? Right? The tree grows and every bird is welcome in the branches. The weeds and the wheat are allowed to grow. There's always a chance for a weed to, or a weed to become a wheat, right? The, it's all, everybody's invited to the wedding. Now, what will you do with your invitation? When the bridegroom comes, are you wise are you foolish? When, I, when I'm reading Jesus, these stories of Jesus, and I read the things he's teaching to people, he always seems to speak to me what I need. And it's, it's an interesting thing. Sometimes it feels as if Jesus is coming over, and he's sitting right beside me on the couch, and he's got like a loving smile and a caring look in his eyes. And he speaks to me calmly and slowly and compellingly about rest and healing and grace and forgiveness. And sometimes when we're in that fetal position in the corner of the room, and you been there? Jesus comes up to us and puts an arm around us and he says, I'm not holding your past against you. So why are you? This is the Jesus, he, he reaches down, he lifts up our chin, and he says, you're okay, you're okay. I've taken care of everything, just trust me. Take a breath, inhale, exhale. Jesus has to tell me this a lot. God's right here, he's close as your breath. I love that Jesus, when he speaks that calm, comforting word that calms us down and liberates us from our worries that is not the voice in this parable. <laughs> the voice in this parable is, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you doing? How are you living? What are you thinking doing that? 
I need that Jesus a lot too. So he ends this parable with this loud hand clap. And he says, hey, 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 there is a wise path and there's a foolish path. The bridegroom could come at any minute. minute. Do not get caught with old batteries. Because history is linear. Have you noticed that? Like time seems to move in one direction. It's, it's interesting. There are no do-overs. Amen. How you live today matters. One of the illusions we, we can find ourselves living under is that you can put things off. You can say, yeah, 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 I, I hear you, I hear you. We easily get lulled into, hmm, okay, that's a good idea. Well, later, yeah. The truth is, as a parent, I can tell you, kids grow up. Bodies fail. You don't get a second chance at those things. Anybody hearing me? Unless you're Byron. (laughs) Is there anything you've been putting off? Well, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And maybe for you, the firm but loving words of Jesus is, you do not have tomorrow. You have today. This is a parable about readiness, about urgency, warning, and preparation. Is there anything you've been putting off and you know it's the next right thing for you, but you've been living in the, uh, I'll get to it tomorrow, I got next week, and you don't. That thing like, I'm going to spend more time with my kids later. No. No, no, no. It's not going to work. And you know it. That thing where you're like, well, I'm going to slow down eventually and take care of myself. Things are just really busy at work right now. I got to, you know, I got to do all the, I got to do this. I'll take care of myself eventually. Has your doctor, or in my case, my, my spouse, given you clear advice that you need to take care of the one body that you've been given? And you're going, yeah, 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 one day. It's not that serious. It's really, really serious. Jesus says there are the wise and there are the foolish. Are there any sins you found yourself tangled up in? And you're like, yeah, this is probably not the best thing for me right now. I know. But you know, and perhaps for you, the loving, powerful, firm word of Jesus is what are you thinking? There is a party raging This is a giant celebration. Why would you not join in? Because now matters. Is there any idolatry? Something you have elevated to some unhealthy place in your life of worship, and it owns you. It's like renting free space in your head, in your heart. Any obsession, any bitterness, any habit. And today, the proper response is to call it for what it is, not to feel condemned, to call it what it is, to confess it and turn away from it and be transformed. Is there any lust, any infidelity, any rage, any anger, any malice, hatred? Some people have wounds. Some of you are nursing a scar. It's not even can't even be called a wound anymore. You're just nursing that scar. You can't go to a party 
where God's showing up with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. You can't walk into that party in hatred. It doesn't work. You can't party with that uncle. (laughs) Today, Jesus says, let's let that go. I let yours go. Let's let theirs go. Is there a dream that you've had? There's a vision for something and you've had it, man, you've had it. That thing, oh, I could do this, I could be this. I feel like it's what I'm meant to do. Something you're dreaming of and you know it's the next right thing and you're not doing it because of fear. And Jesus says, what? Fear? Come on, I'm by your side. Jesus is by your side. What in the world do you have to fear? Or maybe you're, you're not doing the right thing because you're scared of what other people will think. And the resurrected Christ says today, I'll take care of what other people think. I'll take care of the fear. Let's do the next right thing right now. Because the reality is time moves forward, only forward. It doesn't go backward and it doesn't stand still. Sometimes we really do get one opportunity. Sometimes we do. And there is one bridegroom coming for one party, and there are the wise, and there are the foolish, and you don't get a second chance at this wedding. And and before we read too much into that, just remember what we're talking about here, entering into the kingdom of God. We're not just talking about making it into heaven when you die. This is the power of today, right now. The kingdom is among you. It's taken root among you. So don't wait. Jesus is giving us an urgent reminder to live today because you have now. You have now. You have now. 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 Lord, we invite you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, right now, Lord into this present moment, the right now. We invite you specifically into the things that we have put off. The next right, good, true thing that we know we're to do. We invite you into all the ways in which we have been uh, filled with complacency and mediocrity. We bring before you, Lord, the people that we need to forgive, the things that we've been putting off, the things we've been nursing, what we know needs to happen. Today, I invite your Holy Spirit to free our hearts for this epic celebration. And God, I, I, I bring before you all my brothers and sisters in the house today, Lord God, and those who are watching, Lord, who it, it's time to sell it. That person who knows, it's time to sell it. It's time to do it. It's time to enroll in that thing. It's time to give that thing away. It's time to travel there, and it's time to resign from this, and it's time to launch this. Whatever it is, Lord God, whatever it is, that next right thing, Lord God, may, may we have clarity and courage. Give us clarity and courage today to do it. God, we repent also for all the ways that we become entangled in sin and greed and idolatry and anger and hurt. All the ways, Father God, we've placed those things on a throne the ways we've gotten tangled up in destructive habits, joy-robbing habits. Thank you, Jesus, that you grab us by the shoulders and you look us in the eyes and say, what are you thinking? 
You are better than this. Thank you for speaking to us, Lord. Thank you for the urgency of this parable that is what many of us need today. Thank you that you wake us up to this epic, massive celebration that everybody's invited to, everyone's included in. Thank you for your grace. In the resurrected name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Can we just shout for joy for a second? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to shout for joy. Yes. Woo. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I'm gonna, we're going to do it again in just a second. You went way too fast. Just hold your horses, people. We're going to shout for joy. Some of you, that's going to come naturally because you got the joy welling up inside you. You're going to shout in joy. Some of you are like, dude, Scott, I don't have any joy. So what you're going to do is literally shout for the joy. Shout for the joy to come inside you right now. Okay, here we go. You ready? Three, two, one. Hallelujah! Praise you, Lord. We praise you, Father God. Your name that is above every name, Lord God, we praise you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Oh, man. If you're here today and you have any need in the world that you need somebody to pray with you about, someone to stand with you in faith for what's going on in your life, you need a miracle. This isn't just some little thing. Yeah, it'd be nice if I had a nice parking place. No, you need a miracle today. Today, now, miracle. Then there's a lot of different ways to let us know so we can be praying with you about. There's all these things on the screen, different ways you can you can email us or you can go on the website. Uh, these, these go to real people. We actually have a prayer team that prays for you. If you want somebody to stand with you right now in the flesh, face to face, Pastor Albert's gonna be right up here at the front after the service. He would love to stand with you and pray because it's not the same when we pray. pray prayer makes a difference amen 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 um, if you're giving your tithes and your offerings today there's all these different ways you can do that online on the website or on your phone or you can text it we have offering boxes up here by the stage and also in the foyers there uh, so there's that there's that you can do hallelujah hallelujah we stand to your feet my friends let me offer you a benediction today hallelujah may the god who is able to do far and above and beyond anything you ask or imagine. May he reveal his grace to you this week. His grace, 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 because you were invited to a celebration. May you enter into it now, because now matters. Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.